The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 170 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I have the honor of speaking with Peter Moore, president of Chen Moore & Associates, an official nominee for the worldwide ASCE president-elect 2022. Peter's going to talk to us about his experience over the years being a leader at a very fast-growing civil engineering firm. And the interesting part about his experience is he became a part owner at a very, very young age, which gives him a very interesting perspective. He's also going to discuss his vision as nominee for ASCE President-Elect 2022. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. We're also featuring this episode as part of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneur series here on the Civil Engineering Podcast, because Peter certainly is an entrepreneur, and he will discuss kind of his journey. As I mentioned, he became part owner at a very young age, which gives him that really unique perspective. And this special Civil Engineering Entrepreneur series is brought to you by Big Time. Big Time is the industry-leading PSA software providing time tracking, billing, and project management for engineering firms with the goal of getting your business back to business. You can learn more about Big Time's PSA solution at bigtime.net. Big Time would also like to provide this tip to listeners about delegation. Delegating is the new multitasking. Focus your attention where it's needed and delegate the rest, not to be confused with offloading work onto others. Proper delegation is utilizing every resource on your team to their best ability, including you. And now I'd like to formally introduce our guest for this episode, Peter Moore. Peter became the president of the firm known as Chenmore & Associates in January of 2008. He is responsible for day-to-day operations of the organization and has implemented procedures for project management, human resources, and financial planning. He has served as a project manager and principal in charge for various projects totaling more than $500 million in construction value, including underground infrastructure focusing on water, wastewater, and stormwater in Florida, Latin America, and the Middle East. Peter has both a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering and Master of Engineering degree from the University of Florida and is a licensed professional engineer in Florida. And as I mentioned earlier, he's also a nominee for ASCE President-Elect 2022, which he will discuss. So let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Peter Moore. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, so now I'd like to welcome on our guests to the podcast today, Peter Moore, who I just introduced to you, president of Chenmore and Associates. Peter, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Peter, I introduced you, of course, to our listeners early on, but in your own words, tell them a little bit more about kind of what you do on a daily basis at Chenmore and your role. Sure. I appreciate it, Anthony. This is such a fun question because my day varies so much from day to day. Some days I'm a CEO engaging with other business leaders. 
And some days I'm a lobbyist trying to ensure local, state, or national policies are in line with what we, we want to see going on. Still other days I'm marketing clients. And honestly, I do spend a lot of time still as a supervisory engineer, um, reviewing plans and you know moving forward in our meetings and making sure things get set up the right way. My favorite part, and really my, one of my favorite sayings is that I love to engage with students and younger members. Those are my favorite days because it really helps me refuel my tank because it helps me remember why I got in this business overall. And uh, probably one of the best examples is that for 20 years, a group and I have, have done the uh, judging of the ASE Concrete Canoe for a regional competition. And for a lot of people who grew up in the civil engineering world, they know what Concrete Canoe is. But for 20 years, we went through well judges together to make sure that the judges were more in line with the rules than the students. And I had a really embarrassing moment about 20 years ago when I first started is that I just came down because we were a sponsor of the competition. And when we got there, we realized that the students and the faculty members knew so much more than the judges did. A couple of folk and I, we just started following around the competition. And then about 17 years ago, I got asked uh, by my alma mater to be the head judge. And then I put together a team that made sure that every single team that went through that concrete canoe that won our competition was going to compete in the national competition. So we took it just as seriously as the, as the students did. But you know, the crazy part about that is reviewing those papers and reading those mixed designs and everything else just, just wears on you. And every year you wonder whether or not you're going to do it again. But it's funny, you watch the races and you watch the presentations. And really and truly, though, you watch them win their awards. And just how excited students are about it, that's what keeps you coming back. So those are my favorite days is when I can give back to the students and younger members. Obviously, you're very busy. You're running the company. You are running for ASC or you're nominated for ASC president-elect in 2021, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, among other things. Everyone has to think about their time management and where they're focused. You know, a lot of people are kind of over leveraged. How do you personally make sure that you're working on like the right things each day? Like when you come to work, I'm sure you deal with a lot of things that come up that you don't even know you're going to deal with that day. But how do you try to focus your time effectively? It's a fantastic question because everyone feels overwhelmed at any given state and time. I really think that busy is a state of mind. You're never too busy when there's a purpose to your action. A little secret to my success when I was early in my career is, honestly, I had a lot of time. I went from a time when I was in college, man, I went to school full-time, I worked full-time, I played in a band, I went out seven nights a week, I had a very full social schedule. I loved everything that I was doing when I was in school. But when I graduated, I realized I was nowhere near as busy as I was when I was in school. And as a result, I just found myself having a lot of time to dedicate towards things. When I first became a partner here at Chen Moore, it was called Chen Associates back then. Note the name got added because I worked really hard. I used to work every Sunday because I took on most of the administrative roles in the company. I took on accounting. I took on IT. I took on a lot of those administrative roles. And I would do those on Sundays to make sure that I could effectively work during the week. So I've just worked more than a lot of people. And so that's a, something people a lot of times want to hear. But I have spent a lot of time just, just, just dishonestly working. Family is super important to me now. And spending time with my daughter is incredibly important to me and watching her grow up. I had her when I was 42. So I had a lot of time before I was a father. But you know, now instead of doing everything, I'm a lot about making choices about who I work with, who I spend my time with, and who I invest my time with. So I think that every day in the morning I wake up 
I wake up very early still. I'm a five o'clock in the morning guy. So again, those that sleep in late, I'm sorry. You know, it's not how I work. I'm a five o'clock in the morning guy. But by the time I've already had my shower, I've already decided what the first 15 or 20 things I'm going to do with my day are. And the rest of my day just kind of happens to me. I think in order to do that, you really need to prioritize who you're going to spend your time with, what you're going to do, and that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of what my process is. It's great hearing you talk about your daughter because sometimes we have to have like a life altering event to really make us appreciate all of our time and think about our time and how we're focusing it and how we're spending it. And I have three young kids and you know, I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, I'm, I'm also a, a 5 a.m. guy. I get up early and I try to get a couple of big things done in the morning because I know, you know, like you, things are going to happen during the course of the day that you don't plan for. So you need some space to be able to get those big things done or at least identify a couple of the first things you want to accomplish before other things tend to creep in. And so I appreciate you sharing that process. I remember that commercial when we were kids. If you're in the army, you get more done before 8 a.m. than most people do all day. And that sticks in my head. I'm just like, yeah, no, seriously. I mean, on the weekends, you know, before my wife even wakes up with my daughter, I mean, I've already already been at Target. I've already done laundry. I've already mopped the floor. I've already done the dishes. I've already, you know, there's so many things that I've already done. If I slept in, it, it just wouldn't work for me. So it's just not me. I'd rather just get up and get my stuff done. No, you're right. And I actually just had this conversation with someone. They say sometimes when you, you get up early, why are you tired? I said, you know what? I tried to sleep in thinking like I'll feel better because I'm a little bit more refreshed. But what happens is I feel more stressed because I lose that time where I get all the big things done. And then I'm worried about getting stuff done. So it's like everything in life, there's a balance, but I'd rather get a little bit less sleep and be more productive and feel a little less stressed than the reverse way around. Everyone's different, but that's what's worked for me. And it sounds like we've got similar routines there. I'm in the same boat, man. I, I'm just not that guy that's going to be you know killing myself at 10 o'clock at night. I'd rather, okay, that's what we're going to tackle in the morning. Peter, there are a lot of challenges that one faces when you're growing a company and growing a company fast. And and I know Chen Moore, you know, from talking to you and some of your colleagues that, you know, you guys are growing pretty quickly. Every company encounters challenges, problems. I mean, even engineers, that was what we do every day. So as you're growing so quickly, what does the process look like for you where you need to say, okay, here's a challenge we have to deal with now at this stage of our growth? How do you identify those challenges and, and kind of attack those when you're moving so fast? Let me first take a step back and say, you have to realize that in general, growth isn't something that you necessarily can plan for. Growth kind of happens to you. Now, you put in place the right environment, you start looking at mergers and acquisitions, and you start doing these things. But really and truly, growth just kind of happens. It's this thing that over time just kind of comes up and you catch a good day or you catch a bad day. It's kind of like going surfing. You know, sometimes some days are good waves and some days there aren't good waves. You need to be able to make sure that you're there for the times that the good waves are around. So that's what growth is about. And the last couple of years for us have been really good. I appreciate that. But we had planned for that. A lot of these things, we put in place an infrastructure that made sure that we had you know, accounting and marketing and IT and management structure that allowed each of our groups to grow. So really and truly, I think growing in general is all about your people. If you don't trust the people you're working with, you shouldn't even bother to grow because you'll be disappointed. The way in which you know you start to identify and solve problems is it comes down to those that level of employee that you you put in charge of these parts of growth, whether it be your project managers or office managers or that sort of thing. They're not the right people. You're basically already behind the eight ball. And I think it's the people that bring those things to my attention because 
I have a process where we have a weekly call. Of course, everybody talks to each other on a weekly call. Everybody has a weekly management meeting, right? I used to do a management by walking around. Everybody talks about that. You used to be able to walk around the office. Well, in COVID times, what do you do? You can't walk around your office. We have multiple offices. We have seven offices. So I can't walk around all seven offices, right? But I will tell you that every time I'm driving to a meeting, I kind of go through a, a select thing where I call my project managers, my office managers just to reach out. And, you know, from there, we find out a lot about um, what's going on. And I'm really excited to have those conversations. Sorry if you hear the train in the background. We're really proud to be on, on mass transit here in Florida, which is a really difficult thing to do. But we're right here on mass transit. So, <laughs> And I like what you said there in terms of scaling a company for all intents and purposes, you're thinking that's great. You're scaling, you're growing. But at the same time, if you scale too fast, you can encounter some problems that can really set you back. And so creating some really good, well thought out systems, like you mentioned, and then of course, having the people, the right people overseeing and driving those systems and processes are really important. And I say that because the civil engineering industry has generally done well. And I've talked to a lot of companies that are doing well, and I do find that that is a challenge sometimes is that keeping up with the work, again, it sounds like a good problem to have, but if you become really overwhelmed, things can break. And that's when you want, you go kind of backwards, take a step back. I totally agree with that. It's funny because the guy who works in the office literally right behind me was celebrating his 20th year today. And um, I've been with the company 21 years. I've been with the company since we were three people. He's been here since we were six. I've seen everything change. When we were 10 people, we could do things one way. When we were 25 people, we could do things one way. There we were 60 people, we could do it a different way. Now we're 80, we're shooting for, you know, to become 100 or 120 people. We just have to make some different decisions. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that as an owner, as a leader, you're not going to make every decision. So if you're a micromanager, get out of this business. Just go, get out. Like it's not going to work for you because you have to realize that you're hiring people and you're putting them in places to make good decisions for you. And if you don't hire the right people, then you're also in trouble. You need to be a great judge of talents and you also need to be a great delegator when it comes to trying to grow a company. Unfortunately, that delegation piece is one that a lot of technical professionals we sometimes struggle with because, you know, like you said, you all start doing the reports and the technical writing. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, I can't do that anymore. What do you mean? What, what am I supposed to do? And you kind of got to go through that process. We all have to go through that transition process, but I feel like those that can kind of get it down quicker can really do well in terms of growing. All companies have some really core processes, you know, whether it's sales, marketing, delivering great projects, hiring. Talk about the importance of documenting those processes or creating those processes as opposed to just kind of winging those processes, especially as you're growing at a rapid pace so that you have some consistency throughout your company when you have offices? You don't grow for very fast or very long if you don't take care of the fundamentals. The fundamentals are all about what engineering is all about. We First and foremost, our business is about the public safety, health, and well-being of every human being on the planet. So if you don't take care of the fundamentals and you don't take care of that first, then obviously you won't go very far. Recently, we've hired a director of quality assurance. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had another person in the company who was there. We developed a QAQC program probably a decade ago. We spruced it up about five years ago to make it look great in our marketing materials. And we do utilize it. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure it was utilized as a fundamental part of our business. So that's the reason why we hired someone not to do the actual reviews and checks, 
and to facilitate them getting completed and documented. So that was so important for us. Again, like I said, when we were a 20-person company, I had my eyes on everything that was going on. Actually, the way that our company developed, we had two main offices. We were headquartered in Fort Lauderdale. And we had a relatively large office in Miami. But in Miami, the founding partner of the firm, Dr. Chen, the number two guy who's the 20-year guy who's now behind me back here, basically our number one, number three, and number four people in our company were in the Miami office. And I was here in the Fort Lauderdale office by myself. I ran the larger office, but I was able to see everything that was going on. In the other office, of course, I trusted number one, number three, number four, to be able to do everything. It's not the same now. We have 13 project managers. Those project managers manage somewhere between 10 and 35 projects. Obviously, those that manage 35 projects are managing much smaller projects, and much longer term projects. But for us, it's really important for that documentation to be done because pre-COVID, but you know, now after COVID happens, we have a lot of work sharing. So it's really important for us to be able to document what we're doing. If we have to switch out engineers, we have to switch out landscape architects, we have to switch out designers. That's really important. What's required for having a few people to be involved in the process is much different when you're a larger company. And then you also start getting down to, I'm really into risk management. Ever we have a problem, I really like to look at that problem as calling it a quote unquote teaching moment for the project manager or individual, or sometimes even for myself. That's basically what we look for in these times. Going back to what you said about the quality control professional, someone that you hired, what size was the firm at that point, Peter? We were just about 75 people when we decided to make that move. The individual, fortunately, was very well known to a number of our senior staff. He himself was in the middle of switching jobs and things, and it just so there was right place, right time things. I literally wrote in my own CEO review. So I report on outside board of directors because they have the fiduciary responsibility for the shareholders. And one of the things that I wrote for myself was I wanted to make sure that we had an internal QAQC person. So really, it was just a absolutely perfect timing that I probably finished my review and a month later, he became available and we put it in. You know, he's got 35 years of experience. He's uh, absolutely a great fit for us. Fits our company culture very well. I couldn't be happier with what's going on. The reason kind of I was following up on that is because I have found in working with a lot of uh, companies of different sizes that one pitfall is not having someone like that in place early on enough to get some consistent standards across the company because it gets to a point, as you know, I'm sure, when you have enough offices and different project managers that are doing things their own way before you establish something standard then it almost becomes like really hard to get people on the same page. And so I really want to drive that point home for our listeners out there that might be running their own civil companies or thinking about it or wherever they're at in their careers, that if you're growing a company, you want to have that consistency. And I understand it's hard to do in the beginning because you're just, in the beginning, you're getting going. Like you said, you're maybe doing everything. You're trying to get it going. But there does come a point, and I think you need to identify that point where you, whether it's a person or a department or some kind of standards that you need to start to set becomes very important in terms of the long-term growth of the firm, from my experience. Absolutely. We felt early on is that we have a vice president of operations and we felt that person could potentially have that role, but they just got to be too busy. We hired a CAD manager very early on. Maybe we were 30 people, 35 people. We had a CAD manager, but that's because we have such a significant work share going on. I mean, at any given day, we have 50 different people using some variety of CAD. And we wanted to make sure that our standards were in place because, again, we have a lot of work share going on there. But to have a fundamental schedule, budgets, 
overall QAQC program is something that we felt was really important. And honestly, I think it's a huge benefit to us. And I think it's a huge benefit to our clients. You mentioned a word a few minutes ago that's an important word for anyone building a company, which is culture. People talk about the company having a mission, a vision, and some people would classify it as a purpose or a culture. And I think one of the things that's important in building a company is ensuring that that culture or the you know the mission or the vision of the company is really apparent throughout the company. And the company, when they take actions, it's kind of tied back to that. And I'm just wondering how at Chenmore, you build that culture and you kind of carry that through your company. We do have a mission statement and a vision statement, and everybody's gone through that exercise. They aren't as important to us necessarily as the idea that really and truly we feel that we're a family business. And to us, being a family overtakes so many, and it really helps us drive a lot of decisions. Hey, do you want to make more money this year? Or do you want to increase the amount that we're going to spend towards family insurance? It's a no-brainer. There's a lot of things that we do that really just drive towards the fact that are we actually family? No. In many cases, we actually have two married couples that work for us, but we really want to treat our folk like they were our family and like you would expect to be treated yourself. That's really important to us is that we've never really been a numbers first kind of company. I think that's what helps you grow. Really and truly, if all you ever worried about is squeezing every last dime out, then you wouldn't be investing in your people. You wouldn't have the best benefits. You wouldn't have the best things. Going back to the downturn, going back to the Great Recession, whether or not it was a, a stroke of genius on his part or a stroke of befuddlement on my part, I became president of the company January 1st, 2008. So Dr. Chen chose a very special year to name me as president of the company. I've been running this ship for 13 years now. And you know, the only year we ever lost money was 2008. And the only year we ever had a layoff was 2009. And those were two very harsh lessons that I needed to learn very early on in my presidency. I was 32 and 33 years old when that happened. To put things in perspective, I was not a seasoned professional when it came to that. The greatest piece of advice I heard after all that, and it's funny now because the fellow uh, who gave this piece of advice to me is now a president of a contracting company who we do some work with and I battle with sometimes and everything else, but he was an employee of ours at the time. And he said to me, he goes, Peter, I know you're really depressed because you just lost 11 jobs. And he said, but remember, you saved 21 jobs. And when he said that to me, it struck home to the point where I said, I'm never going to doubt my mission. My mission is to keep the company in business. My mission is to keep the company around because anybody who wants to stick around and wants a job, I mean, that's my purpose in life is to make sure that these great people have a great place to land. Unfortunately, that particular time, we couldn't keep everybody, but knock on wood, that'll never happen again. And, you know, we're continuing to do our best to make sure that happens. We've done a lot of things through diversification and other things that I can get into, but I feel we're much, much better prepared. But I will thank my friend Andres for that day that he said to me, you saved 21 jobs. You didn't lose 13 jobs. Or and what I think is really interesting about that whole, your backstory there, Peter, is I could only think of how it would have been different if you started on a much higher, better economy and then had something like that happen down the road. It's almost like at the time it probably sucked, but it was almost better in that you had a hard education early on, but it left a real imprint on you and probably drove the way you made decisions and the way you did things going forward. So there are two really big things about that. I think the first was I became a partner in the business in 2002. And you know, in about 2003, 2004, there's a little blip in the market. For those of you who are younger, you may not remember this. It was 
some weird stuff happening as a byproduct of the dot-com bubble bursting or some other things that were going on. The economy just kind of froze for a bit. And as a result, things slowed down for our firm. I don't even remember particularly why. And I unfortunately wasn't that well aware of what was going on with us financially. I hadn't really delved into the finances yet. But Dr. Chen and I both froze our salaries for six months. I'll tell you as a 28-year-old, you're probably not going to be prepared to not take a salary for six months. Now, we had had a you know, decent year the year before, and I had bought a relatively low-cost condo, and I could live pretty cheaply. I was given a very harsh lesson in entrepreneurship very early on when it came to that. The second lesson, though, that I'll say is, God, was it so easy to be a vice president of a company as opposed to being the president? And, you know, it's funny because when I was a vice president of the company, Dr. Chen gave me a a ton of leeway. I made 99% of the calls. I dictated salaries and bonuses, all kinds of other very important things. What it allowed me to do when I was the vice president of the company, it allowed me to become friends with my employees. And that's what made the change when I became president and needed to lay people off all the much harder. It's because there wasn't that layer of that level of separation between myself and everybody else. And look, everybody wants to be everybody's best friend. I get it. It's just so much harder when things go poorly if you don't have some level level of separation. And those are two really harsh lessons I learned very early on. I wasn't even 35 before those things happened. Now, in theory, in my mid-40s, I'm the old grizzled guy. You see me, Anthony, I have a gray beard here. But I should be around for another 20 or 30 years, God willing. Really and truly, all I hope to do is give these lessons to other people because I don't want them to be unprepared. I have mentored so many businesses as as they started out, and I keep giving them the same advice that I'm like, man, don't make the same dumb mistakes I did. Don't do all the stupid things that I did. Oh, what's that? Oh, hey, here's I trusted this guy too much, or I did this too much. And I just tell them, come to me. Please, please come to me. I'm not going to ruin your business. I'm not going to buy your business. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just trying to help you. Because I truly believe in people. I truly believe that people are better when they're working for themselves. I love entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are the coolest people you're ever going to meet. They're going to give me more information, more business, more anything else than I could ever hope for in my life. And I know that every given day that I work with everybody I, I talk to. And so it's just so special to me to have that kind of relationship with people where they look up to me. I mean, fortunately, I've been president of ACEC. ACEC is a fantastic organization. I've been the president of ACEC of Florida, not the whole thing. But knowing, sitting around other business owners just gives you a great mindset. I love sitting around other business owners, but I really love sitting around those small business owners, right, as they're coming out of the gate and everything else, just trying to help them do these things. Because I think there's so many great things that can happen. As an entrepreneur myself and a business owner, obviously all that stuff makes me feel good hearing you say all that stuff. And really what I think is powerful too, what you said there, and I'm learning that now myself as EMI grows, is you really realize you have a responsibility you know, for the people that work for your company, that that's their livelihood. That's their families. You're basically helping them support their families and keeping the company going. And so it's a big responsibility, but it's also very rewarding as you keep it going. And as they tell you about things that they're doing, they're buying a new house, they're doing things, and you feel really good that you were kind of part of that and keeping the company going. There's nothing better than that, quite frankly. The biggest stock exchange in the, in the history of our company was in 2017, when Dr. Chen retired and uh, nine individuals bought into the firm. So to make then a total of 11, now we have 12 shareholders. But that very first year after the additional nine shareholders, there's 11 of us. 
we had a nice holiday party. It was on this very nice yacht and uh, we went up and down the intercoastal in South Florida. I walked over to each of the new shareholders and I said, hey, look at this, you know, this party that was going on and everything. And I said, isn't this cool? And they said, yeah, it's great. Everything's happy. You know, they had probably had a cocktail in their hand. And I said, you're responsible for their lives. Every one of them stopped dead in their tracks. And I said, you know what? You're responsible for their lives. So don't screw up. And this is the responsibility that I've been living with for almost 20 years. And every one of them to a person took that to heart and understands that, you know, as a shareholder of the organization, we have a responsibility to perform, to make sure that everybody there is, is, is protected and taken care of. Obviously, I feel that most harshly, but now I'm the gray haired guy, so I can point at people and tell them, you know, funny stories like that. And it's all, you know, really inspiring stuff. And I hope those of you out there that are thinking of aspiring to ownership in a civil firm, because I know a lot of our listeners are, these are just things that you'll think about and you'll encounter as you go through it. And you may not think about it as a younger engineer saying, hey, I want to be a partner. I want to be an owner. But there are a lot of responsibilities that come along with it. And you'll certainly learn those. So you're a nominee for the ASCE president-elect in 2021, which is exciting. I'm, I'm a very active ASCE member, so I'm excited to talk to you about this. But let's start off with can you talk a little bit about kind of your vision as a nominee? I mean, what is it even like? I mean, I can't even fathom it. Talk a little bit about it. ASC and I have been together a very long time. I've served in every geographic role from being the secretary of my local branch all the way up through being the uh, regional director for the Southeast United States in Puerto Rico. I've served as a governor on one of the, uh, on the Utility Engineering and Surveying Institute Board of Governors. So I've served in every level of ASCE. I've served on over five national committees. ASCE is a very large and important organization and has many relationships throughout the world. It's not to say things can't be improved, but I have no illusions at all that a one-year president is going to make any kind of title change in a 169-year-old organization. I do have a few small changes that I like to see. Because I really think in order to turn an aircraft carrier, it starts with small changes, you know, one degree at a time. My platform is made up of three concepts. I like alliteration to help people remember things. So I call my uh, proposal accountability, advocacy, and accessibility. Overall, I think accountability is important because I think accountability, ASCE is a membership organization. ASCE should provide member value to the members. I think that the organization should spend within its means. ASCE headquarters. And the, the staffing, I think we're overstaffed and I think our headquarters is too large. But I it really, in general, I think that what we need to do is set a baseline budget. And I think our baseline budget needs to pay for everything that is responsible for membership. Everything on top of that are the investments that we make for great things. We do some great things like the report card. I mean, God, the report card's been mentioned 7,000 times in the Biden infrastructure plan. We do great things like that. We're doing the future world vision. We do some other great things. But I think all of that needs to come from conscious investments that are on top of the baseline budget that we need to have for our membership. So to me, that's what I call accountability. I think advocacy is at the heart of everything we do. Civil engineers are the most selfless profession in the entire planet. We need to go to the mountains and we need to sing from the highest mountain about how great we are. And people who are civil engineers are terrible at doing that. I'm clearly not. But I think we, we need to make sure that we do is we have somebody who's in place that has that attitude. We're getting in there and we're going to be a bulldog. We're going to be in front of everybody. And on three levels, I think on our national level, I think we do a terrible job. We talk about having all these national partnerships. We have these national partnerships with ACEC and APWA and all these other things. We don't actively act on those. 
And I think we need to make sure that our, our, our national partnerships are really active partnerships. On a state and local government relations level, it depends on the state. In some states, ASCE is the bee's knees, man. They are the ones who do all of the work. In other states, ASCE is clueless. I will tell you right now in my state, I have been the state ASCE president of the state of Florida, and I do not want ASCE's state and government relations folk getting involved in what we're doing because ACEC and FES, the NSPE version, we have a staff of 15 in our state capital and we have five lobbyists. So, you know, you're behind the eight ball when it comes to that. So I think we really need to pick and choose our battles. And lastly, on an international level, I think this is one of the really things that people need to understand. ASCE is an international organization with over 50,000 of our members being from outside the United States. I think we need to make sure that ASC is the leading voice for civil engineering internationally. Last, but certainly not least, is accessibility. The civil engineering profession needs to be accessible to everyone. And I don't care if you're black, white, or purple. I don't care if you're male, female, or you don't identify. I don't care. The civil engineering profession is an amazing profession. It needs to be accessible to everybody. The only way we're going to get there is two ways. I think we need to make sure that we specifically build our bench. Because as you start looking at leadership positions, you have to make sure those leadership positions are backfilled by quality people. If the quality people aren't already in those positions, you can't get there. So we need to make sure that we're starting to talk to through the K through 12 education. You can't be an engineer in college. You can't be a civil engineering major in college if you've never heard of it in high school. You can't start thinking about civil engineering majors and getting your classes and everything organized in, in high school if you haven't heard of it when you're in middle school. We need to make sure that the K through 12 education is perpetuating Everyone is accessible to civil engineering. And then the last thing, we've done a really great job recently. I was on the board of ASCE when we promoted all board level committees are required to have a, uh, a younger member on the board, uh, on each of the committees. Younger members are 35 and younger. Um, I still feel like I'm a younger member, but apparently I'm off by almost 11 years now. But um, I was chair of that committee, by the way, for a while. I also want to see that happen for our Mosaic committee. And our Mosaic is our diversity and inclusion committee. So I really think that we need to have a diverse voice and a younger voice on every single national committee, society level committee that we have. So those are the kind of, again, accountability, advocacy, and accessibility are my three-level pitch and what my vision and my, my platform for ASC are. And I love using those three words. I agree in the world of information overload, it's good to be able to clearly identify things. And as a member for a long time, I think advocacy is something that a lot of too many civil engineering professionals, especially younger professionals, don't even know what the word means. And I think that that needs to change kind of to your point in terms of how important that is. I really think that that is important. And, you know, someone needs to get out there and shake that up a bit because I do think that it can be an exciting part of our profession for people that don't even know that that's something that they can do as a civil engineer, which we need to change that a little bit. And the other thing too that you said that I think is important to kind of restate is I don't think it's an understatement to say that most ASCE members don't know that ASCE is international. Like they just don't even know that we're outside the lines, so to speak. And so American Society of Civil Engineers is an international organization. But it's a little odd to say. But they do have some great opportunities, you know, international. I think, like to your point, more members need to be aware of some of those things and, you know, be able to help out with some of those opportunities. Cause quite frankly, a challenge of any organization that is large is, you know, not leveraging the knowledge and all of the membership. I agree with you 100%. We got to definitely serve the members, but the members also can be served by being open to these opportunities that maybe that they don't know exists. And so it sounds like that's part of what you want to do is making those connections, which I think is great. Yes, sir. 
So good luck with that. And obviously, you know, we'll be keeping in touch with you. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pause for just a minute. Then we're going to put Peter on the civil engineering hot seat and wrap up with a few career related questions. We'll be right back. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right. We're back with Peter Moore, President Chen Moore. And we're having a really spirited conversation here about all things civil engineering business. But we're going to talk now about career. We're going to put Peter on the civil engineering hot seat. And Peter, I'm sure you're ready. I'm ready. Peter, are there any specific rituals you practice every day? Do you have a specific morning routine, lunchtime ritual? I know we talked a little bit about some how you set up your day, but is there something you do consistently on a daily basis that you feel has really contributed to your success? In the morning, I think it's really important to make sure that you're grounded. You know, I get up and I take care of my dog and I make sure that I, you know, get things ready for my daughter before she wakes up and everything else. But in the shower, I really do have a very long conversation with myself. Thankfully, I have one of those tankless water heaters because some days my conversation goes on way too long. But I really set up what my day is going to look like in my own head and in the shower every morning. And then the other thing that I do, and it's going to sound a little crazy to everybody, is back in the day, I used to send myself voicemails, but now I send myself text messages. But at the end of every day, I will often just send myself a text message that says, do these six things tomorrow. And the reason why I do that is because it allows my mind to be free at night. Because if not, I wake up in the middle of the night and I start thinking about these things. And if I don't get that off my chest and I don't, you know, I don't send that stuff to myself, then I start worrying about it. And I said, oh, did I think about that? So those are the two things I think that I do best. Honestly, those have been godsends for me over the last 23 years of my career. Yeah. And I really like that last one. I do this something very similar at a whiteboard and it's very helpful from getting stuff out of your head somewhere where you know it's not lost, but it lets you to free kind of give you some headspace, which is great. It was funny when I used to do the voicemails because I would call myself and I would say, hey, jerk, remember to do this or blah, blah, blah. And in the morning I get in the office and I'm again, we talked about the fact that I'm an early guy. So here I am in the office at six or seven o'clock in the morning. And I look down, I'm like, who the heck sent me a voicemail? And I listen to it and there's myself yelling at myself first thing in the morning. I said, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. What's one book that you might recommend or, you know, one book that you may have found helpful for you personally or professionally that maybe like, you know, sticks out for you if there is one? So there's two sets of things that I'm going to say here. And this is, it's a fictional book, but I love Ayn Rand. I love really and truly Atlas Shrugged and just the pure factualness of it helps me put a lot of things in perspective. And I really think that, you know, the nihilism and everything else that she had but behind it was really important. I've read a million great books, Jim Collins and all those other things. And I I really do love those type of books. But I think to allow your mind to escape some and to go something towards a good book is really important. The other author that I'll point you towards, and it's going to sound a little strange, is a guy named Brad Meltzer. Brad's wife was in the leadership program with me. And I was able to hear him give a TED Talk. He gave his version of the TED Talk called um, How to Write Your Own Obituary. And I encourage everyone who's listening to this, I encourage you, Anthony, to listen to this. Brad Meltzer, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's super famous now and everything else. Back then, he wasn't as famous. So he was cool. You know, we could hang out and have a beer. Really, the whole thing about that talk and all of his books have the same thing. So he's written some amazing books. He writes fiction. He writes specific nonfiction related to trying to make sure that people understand who the, the little people in the world were. But all of it comes together because of this one TED Talk that he has. And it really is all about impact. 
And it talks about the fact that you're going to impact your family. You're going to impact your friends. You're going to impact people that you work with. But how often do you impact the people that you only see a couple times a year? How often do you impact the people who you only see once in your life? And do you have a life that impacts people you never, ever going to meet? And civil engineers have a life of impacting people that we never meet all the time. And I think it's so important for every civil engineer to understand the responsibility and the benefit that comes from being someone who impacts people's lives every given day. It just fills my heart full of love. All of Brad's work based on that. I mean, you read his great stories about all the things that he's doing. He's a super interesting, super funny guy. I really can't say enough about him. I steal his lines all the time. I apologize to him all the time. But fortunately, I do know him well enough to apologize to him. Those are probably what my favorite things are. And I love you kind of reinforcing that about civil engineers, because I think sometimes we get caught in the projects that we're working on and we forget the people that the projects are impacting. It's always good to bring that to the forefront for people. Peter, thinking back on your managers of the past, if you were to think about, you don't need to name anyone, but if you think about kind of your favorite manager or managers in your engineering career, what was it that made them your favorite? What were the characteristics? What did they do that made you remember them or that made you really enjoy working for them, if you can remember that? I've had very few managers in my life because my very first job, I worked for my friend Terry and... Uh, he gave me a job, but he was running a branch office by himself. There was the four of us. I was the junior engineer, but I was when I came in, I was kind of above the secretary and the cab tech because that's what they still called them back then. You know, I was able to interact with the principal from day one. And then I went over and I started working for the company I'm currently with 21 years ago. So I basically worked for Dr. Chen pretty much straight away. There were a lot of things that were frustrating about working for somebody else. That's the reason why I like being in charge. But really, the things that frustrated me, and these are the things that I try to avoid, are making sure that expectations are dealt with every day, that everyone understands what their expectations are in, in any given day. I had days in which I'd get to the office at 7 a.m. and I'd finish my work by 9 a.m. and I wouldn't get markups on my plans until 6 p.m. And, you know, that was a little frustrating because I said I could have done this all day. So understanding how your employees work is just as important understanding how the managers work. Being able to share work like that is really important. So these are a lot of the things that we put into our own company as we move forward. I've found myself, I want to be accessible 24 hours a day. It's not great and my wife hates it. I had an employee that started with us and came on board and said, hey, my boss, I, I came on board and it's actually the second landscape architect that joined us. This story is important. Because his boss had just gone on vacation and he felt he could go on vacation because we hired the second landscape architect. I'm a civil engineer and I have no idea, you know, what the scientific background behind some things that landscape architects do is. He reached out to me at eight o'clock at night one day and said, look, I have this proposal that's due and I didn't know what was going on. And I sat down and I helped him rewrite it for the next two hours and sent it back to him. And he said, you know, no one in my previous job had ever done that for me. And I said, look, sometimes just being there is more important than being right. I just walked him through the process. Whether or not we achieved the right number, I, do, I can't tell you to this day whether or not we made money on that job. I don't remember, but I was there for them. And being there for people is probably the biggest thing that all that reminds me of. Honestly, you know, coming to Chen, now Chen Moore, you know, future, we're called CMA now and a few other things, but providing people opportunities, you have no idea the power of providing someone an opportunity and what that does for them. People will run through a door for an opportunity and making sure that you never cease to keep having opportunities for people in your organization is so key. 
it's a good learning experience for everyone. You're going to encounter managers that aren't great, but they can help to shape you and make sure that you're not like that when you get to the next step in your career, which is great. All right. I got one final question for you, Peter. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, you know they're really looking to become a leader in the industry. You had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give them some advice on kind of their leadership endeavors in civil engineering. What would you tell them in that short period of time? I tell them to get involved in ASCE or a similar organization, because I think they're going to give you free leadership and management training. But the very virtue of going through and organizing events, organizing meetings, organizing anything else, public speaking skills, all of the soft skills that you don't learn in college, you're going to learn by going through a professional society, a professional organization. It's going to be an incredibly safe environment because people are going to back you up. Once again, Peter Moore from Chenmore and nominee for ASC president-elect in 2021. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and trying to give some great advice out. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Always good to see you, my friend. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Peter Moore. He is, to me, an inspirational civil engineer who's just done a lot of great work out there mentoring and being involved with different associations, including ASC. And he's also been building a business, which to me is a very exciting thing in the civil engineering world today because there's so much opportunity out there. And by building a business, as he said, he's able to give, you know, help people have jobs and support their families. And I think that that's very powerful. And, and I was really honored to have both Peter Moore and Maria Lehman, the two ASCE candidates, on the podcast these last two episodes. And as an ASCE member, I would please, please, please ask you to vote. For information on voting, you can go to asce.org forward slash elections and cast your vote. This is an important election. Uh, Both of these individuals, in my opinion, would make wonderful leaders and will be wonderful leaders moving forward. But as a member, you have that right to vote and you should take advantage of it. I also want to mention that if you're looking for project management training or people skills training for your engineering professionals, please visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on training. You can find all of our programs that have been going on for a pretty long time, and we've got really good reviews from engineering companies because these programs are built for engineering professionals with frameworks. There's accountability built into them, and they actually get results. Again, for information, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. You can also call us at 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 170. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.